How's everybody doing today? Good. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Special welcome to anybody who might be visiting with us for the very first time. Special welcome also to anybody who's listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. And also, special shout out to any uh, other fathers that are in the building today. Any dads here today? Okay. Well, I can't think of a more uh, thankless job than, than fatherhood. And so today I salute you. Um, whether you're stepfather, whether you're uh, father-in-law, whatever you, if father's in the title, we salute you today, and we hope that the people around you show you that appreciation today, and that you have uh, a kingly day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, before I begin uh, the message this morning, uh, I do want to just pause for a moment and to uh, just briefly talk about uh, yet another um, tragic event that we experienced um, this week uh, in Charleston, uh, North Carolina. Some of you have heard the um, uh, news, if you've been, unless you've been in the cave someplace, you've heard uh, the tragic story of a young man, I believe his name is Dylan Roof, uh, went into the uh, Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, assuming that you know he was sort of going to participate in their uh, Wednesday evening Bible study prayer meeting. My understanding is that he stayed there for a while. They welcomed him there. They talked with him. No doubt they shared the scriptures with him. And he, he turned on him. He, he, he took out a, a handgun and he shot and killed nine people. And he confessed to these crimes and he confessed that his motive was that he wanted to kill African Americans specifically because he felt that they were taking over his country. Uh, there were three survivors. Two of them managed to play dead throughout this event. And one survivor, this young man, allowed her to live because he wanted someone alive to tell the story. And so once again, we see uh, the ugliness of hate. And yet again, we see the ugliness of racism. Um, and as I, re- I, as I reflected on this this week, and as I've had conversation after conversation with different people, I, I just think that this is tragic and it's sad on, on a couple different fronts. One, these are, th- this is humanity. This is human life, not to mention innocent life. Um, this is a racially motivated crime. Uh, somebody who's deeply hurting, who's deeply broken, uh, felt like this was the way to release that anger and to release that hate. It's especially sad because we're talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are believers. These, These are our family members. And it's especially distressing to me as a pastor because I consider who shows up at the Wednesday night meetings. Who shows up? at the extra events, the prayer meetings. It's usually the core of the church. It's usually the backbone. It's usually the leaders. It's usually those folks who are waiting at the door, you know, before the door is even open. It's usually the core of the church. And to consider what was robbed from that church and consider what was robbed from those families, consider the devastating loss, it was almost too much to consider this week. And so if you're angry, that's an appropriate response. If you're, if you're sad, uh, that's an appropriate response. If you're feeling all the range of these moments, uh, of, of, the, of these emotions, that's an appropriate res- response. And I've been asked over and over this week, Pastor, what do we do? How do we respond? What should we do for this? And I just have three quick suggestions as to how we respond uh, to what's happened. Uh, the first, and it almost seems trite, it almost seems you know, like a preacherly thing to do, I just say, I say pray. I say pray. I say pray for everyone involved because something about prayer is very comforting. Something about prayer and speaking to God and even being honest with him about how this lands on you is very important and very necessary. Pray for the victims. Pray for their families. These families will never be the same. That community will never be the same. I just thought this morning, this is Sunday morning. This is, they're supposed to have church. Where are they meeting? Their, their church is a crime scene. And so we pray, God, please bring healing. God, please bring hope. God, please bring comfort. And we not only pray for the victims, 
but it's important to pray also for the villain. It's also to pray for the also important to pray for the villain. Jesus instructs us in his word to pray for our enemies, love them, and to pray for those who despitefully use us. And this person is probably in much need of prayer today. I guess it's not necessary to pray just so that, you know, showers of blessing come down on this young man, but it's also necessary to pray because praying for our enemies is probably one of the only things that really can keep our hearts soft and keep our hearts from turning to anger and hate and rage. And so this isn't a preacher thing that I'm saying. This isn't some Christianese thing that I'm sprouting to you. This is the, this is the gospel. This is the Bible. And so I urge you today to pray for this young man. The second thing I urge you to do is to talk to your children. I've had many conversations about this this week, and as I posted on Facebook earlier, the most difficult conversation that I've had this week was to my seven-year-old as I tried to help him uh, make sense of these tragedies and tried to field his, 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 his questions about this. And I, and I always say that nothing, you know, really helps you sort out what you really think about this and edit your thoughts and sort of edit out the hate and edit out the bigotry and edit out uh, the uh, prejudice and bias, like having to explain this in a, in a good godly way to little ones. I've heard it said that you don't really understand something until you can explain it well to little ones. And so I urge you to talk to your children about this. Help shape their understanding about this. Help give them some godly, age-appropriate lenses through which to view this so that, one, you can sort out your own thoughts and so that you can come to grips with your own feelings, but you can put this on a very low shelf for them so that they can process this as well. Friends, talk to your children. And finally, uh, I urge you to forgive. I urge you to forgive. I was watching the live, um, it wasn't a press conference, but it was the bail hearing uh, for the lesser gun charge, and each uh, representative of, this, uh, of the deceased family member was given an opportunity to address the killer. And to a person, every single person remarked, hey, you've taken something very precious from us, but we forgive you. And so if they can forgive, who are we to withhold it? If they can offer forgiveness, who are we to withhold it? And so before we proceed today, obviously my heart is very heavy. I just want to uh, just enter a moment of of silence and reflection. And I've got a picture of each one of the victims. And um, to honor them this morning and their legacy, I want to... I want to say their names. And um, after I say their names, I'm just going to allow a moment of silence and reflection, and then I'll pray. Cynthia Hurd, 54 years old. Susie Jackson, 87 years old. Ethel Lance, 70 years old. Reverend DePayne Middleton Doctor, 49 years old. The Honorable Reverend and Senator Clementa Pickney, 41. Tawanza Sanders, 26. Reverend Daniel Simmons, Sr., 74. Reverend Sharonda Singleton, 45. And Myra Thompson, 
Father, we ask you this day that you would bring your peace to the city of Charleston, South Carolina. That you would bring your peace and comfort to the families of those who've lost loved ones as they will never be the same. Lord, we ask that you would return the joy into those folks who've been robbed of something very precious. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would restore that church. Lord, I pray for our nation. I pray for the African-American community and all of the ethnic groups that you've given this earth to share it and to live harmoniously, Father. I pray that this would not disrupt the peace that you've been uh, using us to create in this earth. Father, I even pray for the young man, Dylan Roof. I ask, Lord, that you would send your word to him right now. Lord, I pray that you would soften his heart and remove the hate. I pray, Lord, that even as he's incarcerated, likely on the road uh, to being killed for his crimes, Lord, I pray that the gospel would reach him, that you would save his soul. Lord, would you make us all instruments of your peace? Where there's hatred, Lord, would you cause us to be agents of change and agents of hope and agents of love? Would you do that through us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today I have the privilege of continuing a series uh, that I started last week, and the series is simply called Jesus is for Everybody. And in the spirit of keeping our foot on the gas of evangelism and discipleship, which we've discovered, especially lately, is, is one of the most powerful tools that we have to see people come to know Jesus. We've decided to really lean into evangelism, telling people about Jesus and our preaching and our small groups, even in our outreach and discipleship, helping these new disciples come to a greater understanding of who Jesus is. In the spirit of leaning into that, we've engaged a new series that we're calling Jesus is for Everybody. And as I said last week, we live in a world where there's just so few things that exist, especially valuable things, especially meaningful things. There's so few things that everybody has access to that's accessible to every single body. And what we identified last week is that Jesus is one of those beautiful, precious, valuable things that literally is for anybody who chooses to engage. Jesus is for everybody, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're rich, or whether you're poor, whether you're the villain or the victim, Jesus is for everybody. And as I said last week, the goal of this series, there's four specific goals that we have as we engage this material. One of the main goals is to help us to see the world the way Jesus sees it, to help us see the world the way God sees it, to help us see people in the way that God sees them. We also want to work to destroy these negative categories that we put people into, categories that would leave certain, certain people ineligible to receive the hope of heaven through you. We also want to alert and awaken our awareness to the fact that God is always working. He's always doing something. And the question remains, are we going to partner with him or we just kind of go about life on our own? And finally, the goal, uh, one of the final goals of this series is to help the lost, those who are far from Jesus, those who are struggling, those who are estranged, to help them to understand that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've fallen, that Jesus loves you and that he'll have you if you would submit your life to him. And so this is the message and hope of the gospel. So last week, last week we talked about a story that involved three different types of people. We saw a very sincere, seeking Gentile. We talked about Jesus' encounter with an oppressed slave girl. We even talked about the spiritually indifferent Roman jailer in Acts, I believe it's uh, Acts chapter 13 or so. But today we're going to look at a different story, John chapter 9. If you have your Bibles with you today, turn to John chapter 9. We're going to look at an, uh, an interesting story there. And here we're going to encounter yet another person who has a really deep need. He has a deep external need, but he also has a deep emotional, spiritual need. And we're going to watch how Jesus engages that need. I'm simply calling this message this morning, The Man Born Blind. The Man Born Blind. We're going to look at John chapter 9. Let me uh, open us in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you and to worship you. God, we thank you so much for on this Father's Day that uh, many of us will get to celebrate. 
and, and, and even worship with our fathers today, Lord. We know there's something special you want to do today, especially through this service here today, Lord. We know that nobody's here by coincidence. Nobody's listening to this message electronically because of coincidence, Lord. But there is something that you want uh, for everybody who this sermon lands on today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Lord, move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth, that your light, and your gospel might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 9. I'm going to start at verse 1. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, so just stay with me, and there's some good stuff we'll pull out as we work along here. John chapter 9, start at verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. He's talking about God. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 6. Then he spit on the ground made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means, excuse me, means scent. And so the man went and washed and came back seeing he had been healed. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the one. Verse 10, they asked, who healed you? What happened? And he, he, he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees, because it was on the Sabbath day that Jesus had made mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, He put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinions among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been born blind and demanded, What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. Verse 18, the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man and had been, had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. I mean, they really want to get to the bottom of this, don't they? They asked him, them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that they, anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough, so ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been uh, blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I do know this, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed. He's getting sick of this line of questioning. I told you once. Don't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Verse 30. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and who do his will. Ever since the war began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Verse 35, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus is asking him, Do, do you believe in Jesus? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe him. And Jesus says, You have seen him, and he is speaking to you. Verse 38, Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. 
Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby him and, him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. And so this is a familiar scene as we open this, you know, this passage. This is a familiar scene. Jesus is walking, but he's not walking alone, right? Jesus is walking with his disciples. He's hanging out with his disciples, right? And this isn't just sort of a casual walk for Jesus. This is an opportunity for Jesus to do his Jesus thing, right? He's a teacher. He's a rabbi, right? And so he's hanging out with his disciples. He's teaching them. And I like to imagine that I'm just one of the guys in this group as Jesus walks along and is having these encounters and as Jesus is teaching folks. I imagine that I'm just in this group, right? Because if Jesus is talking to his disciples, if Jesus is teaching his disciple, guess what? He's teaching you and me, right? And so if you want to have some fun today, just put yourself in this story, and you can sort of walk along this story with us. Because Jesus was not just God in the flesh. He's not just a healer, right? He's not just Savior. He's not just Messiah. He's just not a good dude. But Jesus was an expert discipler. He was an expert discipler. And a good discipler is always at it. A good discipler kind of of talks too much, you know. (laughs) A good discipler is always trying to engage people and provoke thought. And on this Father's Day, I think about my father, right? My father is a great man. Uh, My father passed away about four years ago, but he's a great man, great man. And I remember, um, um, I, I have fond memories of interacting with my father, but one of the things that come to mind most was the fact that my father was, he was a discipler, Uh, And he used each, he used almost everything as a life lesson. Things that were really silly, things that were seemed frivolous, he would find a life lesson in just about anything. And sometimes I wanted him to just turn that off. You know, it's it's dinner time. Let's just go get a hot dog. Let's just go throw the baseball around. But he was always trying to pull a life lesson out of something. And so I, I really try to do that as well with the people that I lead. You know, we go on trips, we go to different things, and I'm always asking questions. Hey, what do you think about that? Hey, what'd you see? Let's unpack that. And sometimes they give me a look like, can we just, can we just have lunch? Like, do we have to debrief for everything? Do we have to find a life lesson in this? Can we just sh- shut this thing down for a moment, right? But what, what, what's happening? Discipleship's happening. Learning opportunities are happening. And that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is discipling his guys. And so it's not like Jesus said, hey, guys, let's go out looking for a blind man. Let's go look out, you know, let's go out and look for somebody to do something miraculous. Let's go out and heal. They're probably just walking to lunch. They're probably just going to hang out, right, or to go chill by the lake. But guess what? As they were going, Jesus sees an opportunity to teach, sees an opportunity to demonstrate. And as Jesus is hanging out with his guys, and as he's instructing these guys, as he's doing his daily thing, Jesus teaches them a valuable lesson. And as I said before, if Jesus is teaching them a valuable lesson, we're the disciples as well. So he's teaching us a valuable lesson. And at the center of this lesson was a very, let's call him an unfortunate man, right? It's an unfortunate man. And the scriptures give us the details about the subject of our story here today. As Jesus was walking along, verse 1, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. The guy was born blind. And his disciples had a question for him. Rabbi or teacher, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins, right? And so we engage this guy, this blind man. And so let's profile this guy a little bit, right? He's a blind man, and in the first century, uh, uh, we're not talking about a very accessible culture. I mean, every place you go into, there's codes. You have to have, you know, accessibility for people with disabilities. You've got to have Braille on the buttons and the elevators. You've got to have those little bumps at the edges of the, side, you know, the sidewalks. You know, we live in a very uh, accessible, you know, era. But the first century wasn't like that, right? And so if you were blind, you were more than likely a beggar. You were more than likely set along a road, you were completely uh, dependent uh, uh, on others to help you. You were likely uh, a burden on your family, and maybe they wouldn't throw you away, but you certainly would have been a burden on your family. You certainly would have felt like a burden to your family. You would have been totally dependent on others, and every realm of your life would be negatively impacted by 
a serious disability, especially one like having the loss of your sight. You'd be on the bottom socially. You'd be on the bottom economically. You'd be on the bottom uh, uh, emotionally. You'd be on the bottom physically. Every realm of your life would be taxed because of this disability. And so the disciples beholding this, uh, realizing that they're with the rabbi, realizing that they're with the teacher, they ask a very important question. And as they ask, they reveal something about themselves that I think Jesus wants to dig into. And so whenever we see something unflattering, whenever we see something silly, or whenever we smirk at the silliness or the immaturity or the spiritual immaturity of disciples, you know, realize that when we're talking about the disciples, we're basically looking in the mirror, right? Jesus, this is a reflection of who we are. And it seems like a good question on its face, but Jesus, full of the Spirit, he reads hearts, Right? And he sees their hearts, he realizes that there's some stuff behind this question, and he basically wants to teach them a lesson. And the lesson that Jesus chooses to teach them is he wants to shift their focus. Seems like they're focused on one thing, seems like they're focused on the service thing, seems like they have a very secular, sort of worldly, non-spiritual outlook on this man, and Jesus wants to tweak that thing a little bit and shift their focus, and he wants to do the same for us. We pick it up in verse 3. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Now remember, they asked why is this man born blind? Was it because he sinned or was it because of his parents' sins? Jesus says it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Jesus continued, must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and no one can work, but while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, for me, this few verses here sometimes provide more questions than answers, right? And it seems like an odd thing for Jesus to say. And I'm really starting to question my, my, you know, the classic understanding of what Jesus is saying here. Many, many people believe that what Jesus is saying is that this man was intentionally born blind. I made this guy blind so that this very moment, the glory of God could be manifest. This miraculous sign could have a great impact on this community, and so I created this guy to be blind because of that. I used to really believe that. I used to really hold to that, but I'm not so sure anymore. And you probably don't want to hear your preacher say he's not sure, but trust me, you want me to say I'm not sure when I'm not sure, right? I wrestle with this. It seems cruel. It seems unfair. Lord, what are you saying? But I think more what Jesus is saying here is, don't worry about all of that. What we're worrying about and what we're dealing with is in this moment, we see that this guy has a profound area of brokenness, a profound need. And what he's trying to shift their focus from is from the cause to the need. He's challenging these guys to focus presently on the need. Now, that doesn't mean that as we go and do ministry and as we engage people with various degrees of brokenness, that we won't have to ask some questions and we won't have to unpack the backstory so that we can minister and so that we can use wisdom as to how, how do we dispense our resources and how we dispense our time through ministry and love. But in this particular case, Jesus saw their, their, their questioning about the cause. He saw it as problematic because they asked, who sinned? They didn't ask, hey, what happened to this guy? Unpack this. They're not giving Jesus a sort of multiple choice deal to choose from. They said, who sinned? Who was wrong? Who was at fault? Whose debt is this guy paying? You have to understand that in the ancient world, it was almost assumed that if a misfortune had befallen you, then you had done something wrong or somebody had done something wrong. And on the flip side of that, they assumed that if you, were ble- if you were wealthy, that if you were happy, no matter how you got your riches, no matter who you stepped on to get it, they assumed in the ancient world that surely God must be shining down on you and nothing could be further from the truth. And so Jesus wants to shift their focus from that, assigning blame, assigning sin, right? Because what happens is when you, when, you, when you view people that way, what happens when you, you know, label people by their sins or label people by their uh, uh, the deformities, people become, you know, in, in, their, in, in our minds, their, their identity is shaped by what's wrong with them. Their identity is shaped by what's wrong with them. And uh, that's problematic because I always say this, that everybody has skeletons, but not everybody has a closet. Uh, everybody has skeletons. Uh, but not everybody has a closet. Uh, and sometimes wealth can be a closet. You can, you can build a nice big closet uh, to, to stow your skeletons and influence 
and clout. You can build a nice big closet to stow your skeletons, and you can get lots and lots of people to help you hide those secrets and hide those skeletons. But a blind man begging on the roadside, his skeleton is on his back. Uh, The pregnant, uh, poor woman on welfare with seven kids under seven, you know, she can't really hide her skeletons, right? But if you're judging people by their skeletons, then you're only viewing the people who are poor and destitute with pity. You're looking at the causes of their, you know, and you're looking at people who have, you know, the means to stow away their secrets. You're looking at them as if they're okay. You're looking at them as if they're blessed. But we all have skeletons, right? And so when you start identifying somebody by their skeletons, assuming that they've done something wrong or that they're paying for what they've done, all of a sudden you begin to identify people and their identity in your mind is, is based on who they are. And so, you know, my fa- I grew up uh, in, in, on the south side of Chicago. My, f- my father had a lot of friends, and they were all street people. Like, they, were all, they all had crazy nicknames. I, I rarely knew somebody's real name. You had Two-Gun Pete, you know, and you had Lion Joe and Lucy, you know, Lucy. Everybody had a name, and usually their nickname, you know, identified them in, in, in a certain way. And in the same way, when we view people by their skeletons and we try to get to the bottom of what caused it, what caused it, right? What's happening? Too much investigation as to the cause robs us of an opportunity to show mercy. Too much investigation, too many inquiries into how'd you, well, how'd you get here? How'd you get here, homeless man? How'd you get here? What poor decisions did you make to get here? Oh, you're on welfare? You've been on welfare for three, four years? Well, what'd you do to get here? Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Oh, you're in jail, are you? Well, tell me about the poor decisions you made to get there. Right? And so when, when we start to get too nosy about the causes, all of a sudden we, we don't have pity on people. We don't have mercy on them. We don't see them as people to be helped. We see them as an object lesson to say, listen, son, you see that? That's what happens to you when you do X, Y, and Z. That's what becomes of someone who does X, Y, and Z. Well, when you see somebody who you think is paying for a crime or paying for a poor experience, you, you, don't, you don't have mercy on them. Your heart isn't filled with compassion. There's something, some righteous, something pseudo-righteous within you that says, well, well there you go. There you go. And so because of that reality, Jesus wants to shift their focus because what should kick in is a mercy response. What should kick in is a mercy response to see this blind man on the road. Clearly, as Jesus points out, God is doing something. Clearly, this is a divine encounter. And so that's not to say that every homeless person or every broken person that you, you know, walk down the street, you have to stop and engage them. Otherwise, you would never get to work. <laughs> you would never get to church. You'd never get anywhere if you, you know, if that, was the, if that was the lesson. But what I'm saying is your antennas need to be up because we're partnering with God. We're his agents. We're his inside men and women. And if our antennas aren't up or if there's something that clouds our mercy response, which should be instinctive, with something that clouds us from hearing from God and say, hey, today you need to stop. I know you're going to be late, but today you need to stop. T- today you need to go check on that woman. You see her crying on, on, on the corner of that train. Today, today, you, you work for me. You're on the clock. You need to do that. It's going to be hard for you to do if you're trying to, within yourself, investigate. Well, I wonder how she got there. She's got a black eye. I'm sure somebody beat her up, and she's probably going back over and over. It's none of your business. That's none of your business. That's none of your business. You're not a detective. You're not a detective. You're an EMT. You're not a detective. You drive the ambulance, <laughs> okay? How weird would it be for the ambulance to show up, get his pen, and you know, you, you're bleeding, right? And he's got his pen and pad. I don't know how this happened. Now, what happened? Who was it? <laughs> Now, what'd you do to bring this upon yourself? You say, listen, man, you don't understand your role, right? And so Jesus wants to say, listen, man, hey, hey, back off the investigation. You're not understanding. You're missing a divine opportunity to be an agent of hope and healing. Because what happens is they, they, they're, they're basically passing by. They're spectators, right? They're spectators, They're looking and they're talking, they're assuming and they're guessing. And Jesus says, listen, 
enough with that. Why? Because in this particular case, this man's external problems was a clue to his biggest problems and his deepest need. This man's external blindness was a signal, was a clue to what was really wrong with him is that he was spiritually blind. And he couldn't see and recognize who Jesus was. This is a lesson here for us. This guy's physical issue points to his and our deepest need, and that is the ability to see Jesus for who he really is. And so Jesus uh, helps his disciples to shift, shift their focus. And in shifting their focus, he basically says to them, listen, don't worry about that. The time is short. I'm going to decode what Jesus said. The time is short. I'm not going to be here with you guys for very long. Listen, understand something. Get this lesson in you. I'm going to be crucified, killed, and ascended to heaven soon. You guys really need to get this because you guys are going to be the people that extend the kingdom. You guys are going to be the agents of change. You guys are going to be the agents of healing and hope. So you got to get this. And he's saying the same thing to us. Don't focus on the wrong things. Don't try to investigate it. Just do what I say. Go where I say go and be an agent of the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus not only points out this guy, he not only sees them, he not only explains to them what's going on, but Jesus chooses to do something about it. Clearly God is at work here. Clearly this is a divine encounter. And so Jesus does something about this man's physical ailment. Jesus spits on the ground. (laughs) He made mud with saliva. And spread the, man over, the, the, the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back singing. Now, this is just, it's just odd, right? I mean, you, Jesus, you got a foot. Man, you could have snapped and, you know, you, you couldn't do this without getting out of bed in the morning, right? But Jesus, he's got, this, he's got this elaborate thing where he's spitting on the ground and he's making mud, which, by the way, gets him into trouble because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And this little act of making mud and rubbing it in this guy's eyes sort of gets Jesus into trouble. But I like the fact that Jesus acts. He responds. He's teaching these guys a lesson. Don't just talk about it. Don't just spectate about it. Don't just cause a gaper's delay. Get involved. Do something. And so as Jesus heals this guy, he sets off an interesting chain of events. This guy gets healed, and guess what? His neighbors start talking. Is that blind Bobby? That's not him. Yes, it is. Man, that guy used to be blind. No, that's not him. That's just a guy that looked like him. And all of the other guys say, listen, I am. We'll call him Bobby. They probably didn't have any guys named Bobby. But yeah, I'm blind Bobby. I used to be blind. I could see, right? And so if we were living in modern day time, then people have their cell phone out. This would be going viral. People would be texting and tweeting about it. This is sweeping the neighborhood causing all sorts of ruckus, good, bad, and ugly. So this healing takes on this sort of interesting chain of events. People are talking about it. People are wondering who Jesus is. All of a sudden, hashtag Jesus, hashtag healing. You know, people are Googling Jesus. and like, okay, where's he going to be next? They're liking him and friending him and all this sorts of things. Jesus is becoming famous because of this healing. And so, so we reach back into you know, verse 2 where Jesus says, don't worry about why he was born blind. Just understand that this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for God to get some glory. This is an opportunity for the power of God to be made manifest and be seen by all those who, who are within earshot, right? It says, never mind that, because watch what happens when I heal this guy. People aren't going to be able to shut up about it. They're going to be able to shut, out, shut up about it. And the glory of God will spread, and Jesus will be made famous and people will search after him, and people will seek about him, and people who never heard of him and whose hearts were cold and far away because of this miracle, because of this power encounter, all of a sudden they're going to want to know who this Jesus is. All of a sudden they thought, I got a blind boy at home. I got a boy with uh, a short leg. I got somebody who can't speak. I got somebody. Maybe, maybe Jesus might be able to. Maybe he might be able to do something for me. Maybe he might be able to do something for me. But this also gets Jesus in trouble, right? Because his, 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 his biggest fans, the Pharisees, <laughs> right? All of a sudden, they want to talk to Jesus. But they first interview this guy. They interview this guy. They say, they say listen, man, tell us about this. We want to know what's happened. And they're investigated, and they're looking into it, and they're stirring up trouble. They said, Jesus does know this is the Sabbath, right? He does know that he, he's not supposed to work, right? Now, forget the healing, right? Forget that a blind guy who could not see... 
who is begging on the sides of the road, a burden to the community, forget that that problem has been eliminated. Forget that this miraculous sign has been done before their very eyes. All they're concerned about is he, 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 he made a little mud pie on the Sabbath, right? And so they're interviewing this guy, and this is my favorite verse in the whole passage. They're drilling this guy, asking him the same thing over and over and over, and the guy says, listen, I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know whether he's a sinner, whether he's a prophet, but what I do know is that when I got out of bed this morning, I couldn't see a thing. What I do know is that somebody had to help me, as they do every day, to my little post, and they had to feel around for my cup, and I had to jiggle it and hope that somebody gave me something. I've been this way my whole life. I don't know whether he's a priest. I don't know whether he's a prophet. I don't know whether or not he can do 12 jumping jacks or 20 push-ups. I don't know any, anything about that. What I do know is that I, 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 I couldn't see a little while ago. I couldn't see a little while ago, but now I can see. And so if you want to talk to him, if you want to ask him, you want to talk to my mother, do all of that stuff. But listen, man, I can see for the first time in my life, I'm going to go check out some trees. I'm going to go pet some animals, man, and I'm going to take this in. So I don't know, I don't know anything about that. What I do know is that I'm healed. I'm new. I'm different. And, and, and this verse reveals that this guy had received this miracle, this guy had received this healing, but his deepest need still hadn't been met yet because he still didn't really know who Jesus was, right? We got this really significant healing. We got the significant need that's been met, but he still had a really big problem, as many of us do, because we still can't see Jesus, still can't recognize who he is. And so what Jesus does is a genuine act of real mercy and salvation, Jesus meets this guy's real need. He meets this guy's real need. The healing was awesome, but there was so much more to be done. And so Jesus catches up with this guy in verse 35. When Jesus heard what happened, he'd been harassed by the Pharisees. <laughs> he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? In other words, no, I want to believe him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Verse 38, yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. These, then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Jesus said that healing was cool, man. That healing was cool, right? You like that you can see now. You haven't been able to see your whole life. That was really cool. Jesus says this, but what I did for your eyes, I want to do for your whole life. The sight that I gave your eyes, this joy that you feel, this exuberance, this relief that you don't have to beg, and this relief that you don't have to be bound to people helping you, this relief that you don't have to be a burden, this relief that you, could, you have a new lease on life. What I did for your eyes, I want to do through the power of the gospel for your whole life. And Jesus says, you want that? You want that? It's free. You, you want that? And guess what happens? Salvation comes to this guy. Salvation comes to this guy. I tell you all the time, the healing, the prophecy, the supernatural stuff that freaks some of you out, listen, that's cool. That's, that's great. And just, I mean, it's, that's, 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 that, that gets the pops and that gets the buzz. But, you know, that's not the main event. The main thing is that God has begun a process in you to draw you nearer, to draw you closer. You've seen it. Uh, you've gotten a taste of his power. You've gotten a taste of his love. You've gotten a taste of the fact that he loves you and he wants to restore you. He wants to heal you and make you new. Listen, don't stop. Don't settle for the healing now. Don't settle for the miracle. Don't settle for the, for the prophecy. That's just, that's just the beginning. And what Jesus says, I did for your eyes, I want to do for your whole life. Jesus met his real need, and his real need was that he needed his eyes to be opened. Because all the salvation, all the freedom, all the hope that, that, that Jesus wants to offer, you can't even perceive it. You can't even perceive it. You can't even see it. You don't even know. It's out there uh, unless you can see it. Much like this blind man. No doubt his other senses had been enhanced because he was blind, but he didn't know what was passing him by along those roads. Somebody could have been parading by with a sign that said, free food, all you can eat. Free gold bricks. Just come up and pick one up. And he'd be there, you know, just a few coins, please. Why? Because he wasn't able to see 
the things that were available to him. And that's our problem, folks. Jesus says, listen, I want to sanctify you. I want to make you new. I want to justify you. I want to deal with your sin. I want to make you new. And we're there. We just, 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 I want to eat today. <laughs> you know, I want to get by today. I want to get home and get off my feet. And Jesus said, hey, 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 everything I have is for you. Just, 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 and we can't see. And so all of a sudden, when you consider that, to have your eyes, the eyes of your heart open so that you might be able to see and to receive and to engage and to receive salvation is the miracle of the highest order. It's a miracle of the highest order. Because when you can see Jesus, when you can see Jesus for who he really is, you will allow him to come in and make you righteous. Come in and make you righteous. That's what happens when we come into the kingdom of heaven. That's what happens. Our filthiness, our brokenness, the reality that we don't measure up, Jesus exchanges our unrighteousness for his unrighteousness. Therefore, we can go before the Lord and say, here, check it out. Let me explain that a better way, right? Ever try to, you know, go and get a job without a resume? You don't, right? And what's that resume? That resume is what says to the employer, hey, here, I think I can make it here. Check this out, right? And so that's what happens. We go to God and we say, hey, take my resume, and your resume is basically your life, your shortcomings, your failures, all these sorts of things. And we go before the Lord, and just before we go before the Lord, Jesus is standing over there. Jesus, come over here. He says, you want to meet God? Yeah, yeah. You got your resume? Yeah, let me see it. Jesus looks at it and goes, you don't want this one. (laughs) You will never make it with that one. Jesus says, hey, take this one. And you look at it, it says, Jesus Christ on the top, and his perfect resume. He says, that'll get you in. That'll get you in. That'll make you right with God. And so you take this before God, and you say, here's my resume. And God goes, oh, welcome. Why? Because Jesus transferred your unrighteousness, gave you his righteousness for yours. And when he does that, we can be made right with God. We can have the freedom, salvation. We can have our sins forgiven. We can have newness of life in this life and in the next, right? So Jesus fixes this guy's problem. He opens the eyes of his heart. But where did it start? It started with an act of mercy. Now, this almost didn't happen. Now, if Jesus wasn't with these guys, they'd have just, you know, posed some questions, they'd have guessed, they'd have tried to figure out what's wrong, and they would went on their merry way, right? But because Jesus stopped, had mercy on this guy, saw his need, and saw how his external need pointed to his deepest need, Jesus was able to have mercy upon him and not just heal him and not only help his outward physical need, but to minister to and eliminate his deepest need, which was to have the eyes of his heart open so that he might see and receive who Jesus really is. No matter who you are, folks, Jesus is for everybody. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, what does this mean for us? We look at this story. What is the lesson? What, 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 what does this mean for us? Well, I, you know, each and every week I've, as we've been unpacking these stories, I've been talking to those who are Christians or those who, have, uh, who believe in the gospel, those who identify with Christ and who are disciples and disciplers. So the lesson for us is this. Listen, we've got to have our antennas up. We've got to realize that every single day we're on the job. And last week, what did we say? We need to be interruptible. I'm guilty of this. I'm, I'm not interruptible enough. I got too much stuff going on sometimes. Good, noble stuff with my kids, with this church. I'm running, you know, this and that. Some good, noble stuff. And I look up and I miss several opportunities to be an agent of hope and help for somebody who needs Christ. And so for those of us who engage this story as Christians, we need to understand that God is always working. He's always doing something. And before you set your feet out of the bed, what your heart should say and what your mouth should say is, Lord, what are we doing today? What do we got today? Lord, show me what you're doing. I want to partner with you today. Let I miss, let I miss not one opportunity to, to partner with you and to do what you're doing. And so that's sobering reality for some of us because some of us are just too busy. Some of us, is, we got the iPod in, and if somebody was screaming for help, they're giving you all sorts of signs that they're ready to talk, and they're ready to engage Christ, and they're ready just, just for you to plan to see. You got your headphones on. You, you, you completely missed them. 
And so God is working. What Jesus demonstrates to his disciples is that God is working. He also demonstrates that we ought not be so preoccupied with the cause and trying to unpack stuff. We're not detectives, friends. We're EMTs. We drive the ambulance, and we bring people into the family of God. There's also an application for those of you who are outside of the faith today, and that's not to put you in a bad category. That's just reality is we've got people all along the spectrum of faith here today. And so the reality for you is that Jesus desperately wants to engage you. That Jesus is desperately concerned about both your external, physical, natural needs, but he's mostly concerned with the fact that the eyes of your heart need to be opened so that you might be able to see him. There's somebody here today that's on the fence. There's somebody here today that for whatever reason is far from God. And what you need to understand is that Jesus isn't mad at you. He's not shunned you. He's not, you know, putting lumps of coal in your stocking as it were. He, he welcomes you today. There's no coincidence you're hearing this today. There's no coincidence that the radical welcome of the kingdom of heaven is being extended to you today because Jesus loves you. You're special to him. And he wants to do for your life something that nothing else can do. He wants to save you. He wants to make you new. And so all you have to do is lean into that. All you have to do is respond. Jesus says, do you, do you want to know this Messiah? Do you want to engage this truth? And the guy said, yeah. And that's all you've got to do today. The Spirit of the Lord is here to help you do that. Worship team, you can come up. And so as we just land this thing today, I just really want us to be aware of what God is doing. Really be aware of what God is doing. To really be aware of the fact that Jesus is searching. He's calling. He's looking for those who would engage his truth, engage his gospel, engage this hope, and allow Christ to make them new. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word with your people. Lord, I thank you for shaking us today, moving us from this place of complacency, moving us from this place of passive investigation and inactivity. Lord, I I pray that you would uh, cause us to have our antennas up. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to see ourselves as partners with you folks who are called to be agents of hope and light and salvation. And so, Lord, we repent this morning for failing to engage those that are hurting and broken around us. We, 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 we repent, Lord, for uh, being spectators. And, Father, I pray that this week, this week, Lord, you would give us opportunity after opportunity to, 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 to engage those who are broken, engage those who are lost. It may not be a miraculous healing of the eyes, but Lord, it might just be a listening ear for somebody who wants to vent. It might just be somebody who, you know, who needs, just needs the, the pressure, the pressure of not having enough money or enough food or enough resource to be released just for a moment by our generosity. Lord, may we partner with you in whatever you're doing today. And Lord, for those who are far from you today, Father, I pray that you would draw us ever so near, ever so near. God, open the eyes of our hearts so that we might be able to see you and not just see you, but respond to how you're working. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.